If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Legal discussion on TIP today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch is with me in studio. Good morning to you, John. Um, That controversy over the spinal surgeries that left many children injured, the issue of using implants or other devices that are not Mm. regulated or approved with your experience... I'm just interested to know what you made of that story to begin with. Yeah, I mean, you have to say that, I mean, it's the Children's Health Ireland um, organisation that's involved in it and you have to commend them for the speed with which they actually went about dealing with it. I mean, they immediately kind of put their hand up and said that there was an issue and they commissioned an internal review and an external review you know all really you know I mean we're talking about children we're, we're talking about spina bifida um, I mean again it's like something you know it's like everything else um, <clears throat> there's the legal aspect to it which obviously I can talk to but there's the human aspect to it as well I mean it, it appears to be the case that there was an increase in the number of searches that were undertaken and there was a <clears throat> a significant fallout from the surgeries, you know, in terms of uh, poor operative, mm. uh, post-operative uh, issues that arose, you know. Mm. Um, including one, 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 death. one leading yeah. to a death, you yeah. know. Now, so, as I said, you know, you have, to start, you have to start by commending them. I mean, you know, we're all familiar with Temple Street and we're all familiar with the various hospitals that deal with children and how excellent they are in dealing with it. But I mean, one of one of when they looked at it and you know they acknowledged it, but they then went and they assessed it. And when they assessed it, I mean, the analysis didn't come out very well. You know, there was a high incidence there that obviously. So even with the best practices and with with all the safeguards that we try and implement, I mean, one of the main discussion points around the whole area of medical negligence is that the cost of it over the last number of years and the rising cost of medical negligence literally since the say the 70s started to build momentum because of the change of attitude by people to what would have been a very paternalistic view of medicine and the shift away from that to a more patient-centred view of medicine and I mean obviously they have very much of a patient-centred view of medicine here in this situation but it still resulted in a very poor outcome by reason of poor systems within the the organisation and when they when they carried out their investigation like it kind of highlights when you move out of the practical issues that they addressed it kind of highlights the complexity and the nuances that you have to deal with in the context of responsibility by medical practitioners in terms of dealing with patients because obviously when you're dealing with and again you can look at this through the prism of the patient the medical practitioner or the lawyer but as you look at it the you know the the, the same situation arises because you know <clears throat> where is the line between medical responsibility and legal liability mm. and this was a this was a test that the courts grappled with for quite some time in trying to establish what exactly is the proper test to apply here because where is the line between you know interfering with 
good medical practice and reviewing good medical practice and coming to a point where you say, well, actually, no, there is a responsibility here, a legal responsibility here. And that the, the ultimate shift in the uh, view of the... We're looking through the legal viewfinder, mm. the ultimate shift was when they moved away from the approach of saying, well, you know, <clears throat> the professional is the person who is entitled to make the decision in the best interest of the patient. Now, obviously, best interest is a huge element to yes. all decisions, but the weight of the decision has to come down on judging whether or not what was done is consistent with proper standards within the profession, be it medical, mm. legal, engineering or any other profession. And in this case, John, is part... I mean, for instance, if you were to represent some of the people yeah, involved here, yeah. is part of your job not done by the investigation? I mean, there's... Really, a very, yeah, very interesting point to make uh, insofar as, yes your analysis like because you know you have to remember that one of the kind of responsibilities of any professional is to assess the situation in the particular context so obviously I'm looking at it not from a medical perspective but from a legal perspective and I'm looking at duty of care and I'm looking at the standard of care that's required so yes you're you're correct when you say that it is a, it is of assistance in the same way as you, if you remember all the various reportings that was done under the you know the, all the hip surgeries mm. all mm. the reporting that was done under the cancer care cancer misdiagnosis yes. and all the inquiries check and all yeah that. exactly yes. cervical mm. check they're they're high and very significant examples of how you need to investigate in order to establish whether or not, first of all, is there a duty of care from a legal point of view? Second of all, is there a breach of that duty of care? And third of all, does the outcome, what the, you know, the medical outcome, is that consistent with the breach? So in other words, there's a kind of a complex, well, complex is probably too strong a word, but there is a kind of an interlocking analysis there to determine whether or not you can successfully, from a legal point of view, establish that there is a breach of a duty of care and that the damage results is, is as a result of that. And the complexity of it really very much resonates around the fact that obviously you're dealing with people who, like people with spina bifida, have huge challenges from a medical point of view and from a you know from an outcome point of view in any event. So you're <clears throat> you're trying to establish because you see, it's a little bit like the difference between the, let's say, the medical council that might be investigating whether, and we're, we're talking medicine here, might be investigating whether or not a medical practitioner breached a code of practice. And then you're looking at it from a legal point of view to see, have, have you established you know, an obligation there? Have you established a breach of that obligation? And has that, you know, as the results of the breach, is that linked, directly linked to mm. the actual medical outcome? Because, and therein, as you can imagine, lies all of the, the issues that you have to try and resolve. So, so when you ask me the question, will the report give you the answer to that? Well, without appearing to make it overly complicated, Yes, you have a certain amount of information, 
but the answer may not be the same. So in other words, when they're doing the report, they're doing the report with a view to improving the system. And that's the main emphasis of the report. Whereas when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it on the basis of establishing on the historical facts, whether there are facts there that establish that, first of all, there was a duty of care, there was a breach of duty of care, and the outcome was Mm. as as a result of that. Because after all, just because, and I don't mean just because, because that is making it very uh, factually based, but just because there's a bad outcome doesn't mean that there's a liability there in the same way as just because and this this is one that often comes up uh, you know just because somebody is prosecuted for dangerous driving uh, does that mean that you're going to successfully win a civil action or vice versa if somebody wins a civil action doesn't mean that they'll be successfully criminally prosecuted and the answer is quite often no because the onus of proof, in other words, the, um, the 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 strength of the evidence has to be much higher where you're looking at a criminal prosecution as opposed to a civil case yes. of establishing whether there's a breach of duty. And, and I, do, I do take your point because where medical procedures are concerned, mm. I mean, most of us would acknowledge that you know, bad things happen. People Correct. die under Correct. anaesthetic under or, or, or what, what, you, yeah. you know, yeah. but, but not necessarily finger pointing at the Correct. practitioner. Correct. But in this case, with Correct. the result of the investigation, it appears that there is culpability, you know. Well, there? And, and therein lies the answer to yes. your question. Yeah. It appears, appears. based yes. on the information that they're... Now, and you see, when you look at the results that they come up with, and what I mean, what I mean by that is when I'm looking at what they they came up with sorry that's came up with let me rephrase that when you look at what they analyzed and what the analysis yielded what were the results that it yielded it said like number one an unplanned return to surgery was one of the tests they used somebody was going back into surgery having had the primary surgery which i find it hard to pronounce it's or something like that but it's a very specific and it was it was actually suspended when they carried out the investigation yes. which could might lead you to the view that every operation that because it was suspended might lead you to argue that that's a liability issue and therefore you should succeed but that's not necessarily the case if you know what I mean it just yes. means as a precaution they suspended it while they were inquiring because what they did find as an initial investigation was that there was a higher than expected level of poor outcome from that particular surgery. So therefore, as a precaution, they immediately stopped it. So you can't yes. draw inferences from that as a matter of fact. But then when you, looked, you look at the, what they looked at, they looked at three kind of, you know, again, you know, absolutely commendable that they went about investigating this and fairly quickly after it became mm. evident. And so we did issue. learn something oh, they from, did. from previous experiences. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So they looked at unplanned <laughs> surgery returns, they looked at infections and they looked at metalwork complications because it, it's a surgery that involves an, an element of metalwork to it depending on the extent mm. of it. And they said that when they looked at the 16 and they took only a small number and one of the things that strikes you of course is that they did both an actual uh, check of specific cases, which which is what you would have expected, but they also did 
a kind of an international review of all the literature out there on these types of surgery. And one of the things that kind of stood out when I read it, certainly uh, stood out when I looked at it was the usual one that hits you when you're talking about statistics. And you know the way people talk about statistics and can quote them, and we often get this kind of comment. I'm sure you would have often made the comment when you're looking at a political analysis, and you say, well, OK, statistics can be used for almost anything. And the problem... The problem in a number of cases is that when you have a very low sample, it's very hard to come up with any kind of definitive analysis. And that's effectively what they talked about on the international research, that there was very little actual a body of research there that could lead them. But even with that, they still said that there was a high incidence in this particular scenario. But they said that the analysis of 16 cases showed that 13 out of 16 patients, that 81% required further unplanned surgery. Now, again, you might argue, or you might think, looking at that, that that certainly merits investigation from a legal perspective, obviously, because you're saying, well, OK, there's a flag there. Mm. And, and the flag is higher than expected. And the, and the question then, that begs the question, why? And then, of course, when you look at the why, you look at the, the standard mm. of care in medical negligence. And d- did they do um, a comparison with best practice globally for, for, for that? No, 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 they just looked at the oh, particular at ones okay. and, a, right. and, and said that it was an 81%, just looked at the numbers and yes. said 81% of that number had... Uh, further unplanned surgery and then they looked at the infection rate and it was it was up at 73 75% and then they looked at the metalwork complications and that was over 50%. So all the indicators, if you like, right, the flags there, as you put as it. the yeah, flags. Yeah. And and again, yes, does it help from an analytical point of view, does it help when you're looking through the legal prism? Because the legal prism says that when I look at a fact scenario, I'm looking at a test that's been evolved through case law in the Supreme Court in Ireland, starting with the Dunn case, which says the standard that you're looking at is a comparative standard to people of equal speciality in the particular discipline that you're talking about. Now, you're talking about a highly, highly disciplined area here, so you can imagine the difficulties of establishing whether or not there is or is not a failure, if you like, in the level of care, comparatively speaking, if you know what I mean. The, the acquisition of some of the metal work, for example, did, did that intrigue you that it, 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 they, they weren't sure about the sources of it yeah, and, yeah. you know, yeah. well, whether or not it was endorsed in some way? Or? Well, again, you see, if I'm going to go on the, is it, what's the term you would use? Anecdotal evidence, yeah. which of course isn't evidence at all from a legal point of view because anecdotal evidence is hearsay evidence in my head so whenever I hear anecdotal I always replace it with word hearsay I go back to college right. 40 years ago when I'm studying my law and it talks to talks to you when you're a lawyer about hearsay evidence not worth no well we all we all do hearsay okay. we all right. love hearsay is is a, a very popular piece of evidence because unfortunately um, hearsay is he said she said or somebody else told you and you got your information from somebody who you know is a very reliable source who of course got it from another very reliable source so the further right. you get from the source but, but the did less this reliable not come from, from the investigation but, but this yeah but the I mean the report that I looked at the room the one that I'm looking at and I read the actual report itself mm. I didn't see any evidence of what you're talking about right. in the report now, and I'm only limiting it to the report. Uh, when I, I, when I, 
when I looked at this um, and all I did was there's a link to the actual report done by them and in the report they find certain, these are the this is what they found this is what they said in the report right. so there's no reference to that even though all, well, over, all, all says, over the media there is oh there is of course yeah. there is yeah. but but again Fran with all due respect to the here's, media here's say, is that I, I'm simply saying I'm simply <laughs> saying that I can only give you uh, I can only comment on what I've re- for what I've actually read in the report itself. Yes. Now I'm not saying it's not in the report, by the way, because obviously that's equally non-evidential. Because obviously you can't say for for sure that I've read every line of the report. Yes. If you know what I mean, I've I've went through the report. This and John, morning. where 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 Medneg is concerned, yeah. then I mean, all these cases would be individual then, because as you've drummed into us, you can't have a yeah. class action here, for example. No, so no, so. No. And and I suppose everybody being different, and maybe everybody's outcome Correct. would be different Correct. too, wouldn't and, it? Yeah, and, and, and therein lies the, uh, as you say, I'm, I hope I haven't drummed in this to such an extent, but therein lies the problem with any case, if you know what I mean, or any scenario that you're looking at. I mean, it's acknowledged universally that these type of surgeries are highly complex and highly difficult so and that the underlying outcomes can be very very varied uh so really it's a very very like uh, not unlike other areas of medical negligence or negligence professional negligence they're hard they are hard to prove and to deal with because in in terms of medical negligence People who come with medical negligence claims often come with a history of medical issues. And sometimes it's quite difficult to differentiate between what might have happened anyway, you know, the what if scenario, and what happened as a result of an identifiable an identifiable act of negligence, if you know what I mean. And that you know, and often that's a really difficult one and quite frustrating for the people on the receiving end of it or the people who are the victims of, of these outcomes, it's often extremely difficult. But but therein lies the, mm. the... And the other issue, as I've often said to you as well, is that, and again, with all due respect to professionals, you know, my my own profession included, uh, you know, anybody's profession, it's, it's really, really difficult to get the objective evidence from other experts who are going to go in and give it a, give evidence in the context of a particular scenario against their colleagues, if you know what I mean. And it's it's probably premature to ask you, but I mean, if you were preparing a case mm. for one of the people affected mm. in mm. The, through through this mm. in in some way, is it the hospital you'd be looking at? Is it yeah. the practitioner? Is it a mixture Both. of all of that? Is Both. It? Or, or in most of these cases, it's, all of these hospitals are covered by a national scheme now because uh, they've centralised the whole claims scenario in terms of medical negligence over the last number. It's one of the big outcomes over the last number of years because of the level of of medical negligence cases that that, that have arisen. You know, but I mean, it it is it is it is a situation like many. That, as I said to you, ultimately, as a practitioner, you'd be saying to yourself, "There are a lot of flags here." Or, as I said to uh, people who are who will often slag me for it, I often said there are an awful lot of red lights 
you know that you stop and say well wait a minute here this doesn't look right and funny as a as a as a lawyer down the years i suppose when you start doing law a lot of people who start doing law start uh, from a certain kind of a background of looking to do right and do justice and you know the, the reason you go into law a, a lot of people would have gone would go into law is because they've an interest in you know the whole legal area and you know those are your instincts often as a lawyer that you look to something like this going back to your baseline question does the report help well of course it does but it certainly shows you the flags in your centre you say well wait a second here now there is there, there looks to be a liability here because after all the whole legal area and not get into the political side of it but the whole legal area of liability is that if is based on what we call the neighbour principle if I as your neighbour does something to you that causes you an injury the law says that I should compensate you for that and that's the whole cornerstone stone of the area of tort law which is what this is all about medical negligence is only one aspect of of the neighbor what is called the neighbor principle which comes back to that the very first case you'll ever study if you do tort law is the the snail in the bottle case oh, yes. which was uh, in edinburgh this little girl went in her granny bought her and this may not may not be her granny went in her bought her you know a, a soda and it was in opaque glass, so you couldn't see what was in the soda. And there was a, a, something not very nice in the soda, snail or something. The child drank it and w- was in serious trouble as a result of that and sued the manufacturer who said, oh, no, 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 nothing to do with us because tort law, it's only, you can only sue in contract and contract is where I make a contract with you. So I bought the bottle off you. That's where the contract is. But this expanded out to say that there is a neighbour principle and the principle is you should it's a little bit like gospel almost like you know love the neighbour but mm. in this case you know not do anything to harm your neighbour so the whole neighbour principle is the basis for so likewise in here if I entrust my child to a professional to do something you know to their benefit mm. and it turns out that I don't well there's a liability there and that's that's the essence of it's it It's most interesting as always John thanks very much indeed John Lynch there from Lynch Solicitors in Clonmel that's it for me Ellie produced today Stevenson's on the way with the time tunnel and I will talk to you tomorrow bye bye Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Puck On you can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Ireland